Well, good morning, Actus Church. So good to see uh, all of you here and such a beautiful orange glow coming off of so many of you is a lot of fun as well. Hey, we have been in this series called The Upper Room for the last few weeks, and this is the last weekend of that. Next weekend, we're starting a series called Love Psalms, and we're going to talk about some of the Psalms, uh, uh, and we're going to look at God's love for us and our love for one another, and I encourage you guys to be back uh, for that. We're going to do that series through uh, up until Easter time, so I encourage you guys to be here for that. But in this series, we've been talking about how all of us, how God has a purpose for your life, and, and, and we've looked at this image here, and we've said the lower room is kind of the the baseline. This is what brings many of us to a local church. It's, we like the place. We like the people. We like their programs. And, and, and God's saying, that's fine, but I want to draw you to a deeper level. We've also said that for many of us, it seems like the baseline for us was, let's just go to church, get involved in a group, and, and maybe a few of us might serve in some ministry. And we've asked the question, is that really God's purpose for our life? And yes, that's a kind of a baseline, but is that where God wants us to go? And we've said then that the upper room is really understanding that God has something for your life. He has plans for your life. And, and it's more than just showing up on Sunday. It's that you would live on mission with him every day of your life. And guys, God has something great for you. For every single one of you in this room, God has a purpose for you. He has designed you for something and it is greater than you would ever imagine. You are his ambassador. You are his representative in the world. And in whatever arena you are in, he's saying, I want you to go make a difference in this world. And we're to tell people about something that we love. We're to tell people about the God that we love. And we're to do it with urgency. Now, I just believe that when you love something, you talk about it. That's why. It is very strange for me as a longtime Bengals fan to have so many people around the country talking about the team that I love. It is really weird, in particular, in positive ways. I mean, we're not called the Bungles right now. It's, it's really, really strange. And we went from 2-14 and 14 to 4-11-1. And, and you guys, maybe some of you have seen this map. These are the states that are predominantly rooting for either the Rams or the Bengals. One thing that's noteworthy is you notice that Steeler and Ravens country, they haven't yet quite bought in, all right? But it seems like around the country, there are a lot of people talking about the Bengals. And you know why? I think it's because people love the underdog. People love when somebody comes from an unexpected place, 2-14, and 4-11-1, and then suddenly they're in the greatest game. People love an underdog. I also think it's because the Rams took a different approach than the Bengals. The Rams, they went out, traded a bunch of draft picks to get guys like Von Miller, Matthew Stafford, Jalen Ramsey, and Odell Beckham Jr. And they went in all in to try to win right now. The Bengals grew more from the inside out. They built more from draft picks. And they didn't build it by trading for stars. Now, I know that Joe Burrow doesn't like the underdog narrative, but it is true. I think it's why so many people around the country are talking about the Bengals. And for those of us who have been in this abusive relationship for so many years, it's just really strange. Last weekend, 
I was, or two weekends ago, I was with my mom and Jason and me, and we were watching this game, and, and, and Jason was just being super quiet, and I was like, what's wrong? He was like, I'm just nervous. I was like, I get that, but I was talking the entire game, saying things like, why do we have to run the ball on every first down? Can't we get a different play? I know better than those guys, <laughs> you know, I mean, typical. I'm like, what, come on. And then I'm like, oh, great, the refs are against us again. Okay, I see. No, please, for goodness sake, don't throw it to Samanje Pirine. Don't do that. Now, this is what I'm doing the whole time. And then they start to lose, and I'm like, I do what every typical Bengals fan does. I'm like, fine, I just hope they lose by a lot, you know? It'll be, it's be embarrassing, you know? That's what I'm saying to myself. And then they start to come back, and we get excited, and Jason and I are high-fiving, and Mom is like, she goes, I feel like I should have gotten out of my chair too, you know? Like there should have been a, a group hug. I don't know. Now, there is a wonderful story in the Old Testament from 2 Kings about some underdogs. And it's really a story about some underdogs who are sharing some good news that made a big difference. It's from 2 Kings 7, and it describes really a terrible scene in the city of Samaria. It's the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel at this time, and it was under siege by a nation. Uh, the enemies against God's people have surrounded the city, and in Old Testament times, if you wanted to conquer a city, one of the simplest ways to do that was just to surround that city with your armies and then wait for that city to starve to death or get so desperate that they surrender. And I want you to put in mind, your mind today like an epic movie you know, and, and you think about kings and fortresses, and you've seen that kind of movie, and the enemy surrounds the fortress. That's exactly what's going on here in the Old Testament. And they have no means for food or water coming in and out of the city, and, and the people are either going to surrender or they're going to starve. And the longer that the invader waits for you to surrender, the madder the invader gets. So sometimes it's just better just to go ahead and surrender, but in this situation, Samaria had been under siege for quite some time, and the situation was desperate. The reality was that God had promised to be with the Israel, Israelites. He would promise to take care of them. And yet the people of God continued to disobey God. They said, we're going to do it on our own, God. We don't need you. They declared their independence from him, and they made alliances with other nations, and they thought those alliances would be more powerful than their alliance with God. And boy, were they wrong. So here they are, trapped inside the city, surrounded by an army. Things have become desperate. The people of Israel are in this scene, overwhelmed and outnumbered, and they are the underdogs. Vegas would have them 100 to 1. And as you read through 2 Kings chapter 6, things start to happen that you can't even imagine. Worthless animals are starting to be given up for real expense now. There was even some reports of cannibalism within the city. How can it be that desperate? How can people be so terribly lost that there's no hope and just waiting to die? Now, if that doesn't seem terrible enough, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 4, there are four guys outside the city, and they are outside because they have a terrible skin disease called leprosy. So they've been cast out of the city, and there they are, these four little guys outside the city. Now here's, I'm thinking like a Monty Python movie now at this point or what have you. Because we've got all the people in the city and they are surrounded by an enemy and they're desperate, but they kick these four guys out, these lepers 
who the only way they're going to survive is if somebody chucks a piece of bread out a fortress window, maybe they'll be able to survive. Meanwhile, the enemy camp is over here, and they are just waiting to attack when the moment is right. And you got these four little guys, and there they are. And they're like, what are we going to do? If we can't go in the city, they'll kick us out. We'll die. We can't wait for somebody to throw us bread because nobody's really throwing us bread because they don't have any bread. And we could go to the enemy camp, but what's going to happen over there is they're going to kill us. Guys, we're really desperate. What are we going to do? So they started to get a little plan. And they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Got an idea. All right, we're not going to go during the daytime because if we go during the day, somebody from the fortress is going to like shoot an arrow and kill us because they're going to think we're deserters. So we're not going to do that. Let's go at nighttime. This is going to be really fun. Let's go at nighttime. We'll slip into the enemy camp. We'll just see if we can grab bread or anything, and maybe we'll survive this thing just a little while longer. So that's what they're thinking about. And so they say, all right, let's go. Now listen, these guys were the underdogs of the underdogs, okay? Things could not get worse for these guys. So they decide, we're going to go out, and we're going to go to the enemy camp. And that's what they do. But when they get there, something very strange happens. They get to the enemy camp, and they realize the enemy has deserted their camp. And so they left in a hurry, and all their food, and all their bread, and all their drink, and all their clothes, and all their stuff is all in that camp. And think about the irony of that. Here we have a bunch of Israelites who are afraid for their life about an enemy that has already left, and they're in there, and we got these four little leper guys that are just like, ooh, this is awesome. And they're going to tent, to tent, to tent, and they're wearing stuff. And they're like, ooh, that looks, that looks cool. I love that. They're putting on their clothes. They're eating the food, and they're enjoying it. They're just having a big time. And you could just imagine this story in your mind. Just picture this. The irony of this is almost unbelievable. These four lepers, uh, they're, they're coming to this encampment, and what had happened was the text says that God had caused the enemy to think that there was another invading army coming in from the north and the south. So they fled east to keep from getting caught in the middle, and they just left their stuff in a hurry because God still was protecting the Israelites. And that's the picture. These four guys having just a heyday. And then in the middle of that, they realize something. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9, they look at each other and they say to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. And so these guys came to a realization that they, even though they had been deserted, even though they had been kicked out of the city, they needed to share this good news with the rest of the Israelites. And God, through these four lepers, provided a solution to the problem. The underdogs uh, became victorious. And friends, listen, you and I have some good news that is too good to keep to ourselves. Is that true? Amen? We have some good news that is too good to keep to ourselves. And I love that God tells us these stories because they're a challenge to us. And maybe in the story of the lepers, we can see ourselves as people maybe who feel like underdogs today. Maybe we feel like we have been kicked out of the city. Maybe we feel like we don't have it all together, but this is a day of good news. And it's a mission that Jesus has called every single one of us to. Jesus said, go. Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Guys, we are Jesus' team. And he says, as my team, 
I want you to go out of these walls and live your life on purpose. We're to go everywhere to everyone and share the good news of God in an often hostile territory. And we're to do it with urgency. Because everybody in this room today knows somebody who needs Christ. And that they may seem to have everything together on the outside. They may seem like they're doing really well. But they know and you know that it's not as good as they're making it out to be. And they need that relationship with God. And they need that hope for eternity. And they need that forgiveness of sins. 85% of us who came to know the Lord came to know the Lord because of a loving family member or friend who told us about Christ. That's the truth. And if those around you are going to know about the story of Christ, it, it, one, one, one guy said, it's as if one beggar is telling another beggar how to find food. That's all it is, telling somebody else. And guys, we must do this with urgency because we have good news that we should not be keeping to ourselves. Acts chapter 4, verse 20, the, the disciples were being told, don't tell anybody about Jesus. And here's what they said, as for us, we can't help speaking about what we have seen and what we've heard. Romans 13, verse 11, it says, this is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will come soon. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Now there's urgency. That's saying There is a reality here, and I need to be aware of that reality, and I need to be sharing this good news with other people who are literally uh, dying in eternity. Let let me just give you an illustration. Let's say you're eating at a restaurant with your family, and as you walk back from the restroom, uh, you glance into the kitchen, and you see several people frantically trying to put a fire out that's out of control. What would you do? You would instantly get real serious, and everybody would sense it. You would race to your family and begin to usher them out of the restaurant. You would yell, fire, get out immediately. And that would initially disturb or interrupt some people. They probably wouldn't want to hear that message. And if it were true, uh, then they should get out. If it were not true, then you're just obnoxious and crazy. But if it were true, it would be immoral for you to not say something to everybody else in that restaurant. I guarantee you would not casually say, Hey, everybody, I got an idea. Let's all take our meal. Let's go out to the front lawn. It's a beautiful day today. Let's all enjoy our steak outside. And, uh, and I think that's a good idea, and who's with me, right? Nobody's going to go. And yet, in that moment, if you said, there's a fire, we need to get out, there's a danger here, and you would have really a responsibility to tell people with intensity, Now, I think when we realize that there is the reality of hell and there is a reward in heaven, that we have an obligation to warn and persuade with boldness and with intensity. Now, I know that analogy of the fire doesn't completely hold water for a couple reasons. One, because uh, maybe we have a little bit more time, maybe we don't. Maybe you have more than a few seconds, maybe you have a couple months or a few months or even years before people face the judgment of God. We don't know. But secondly, you're not... Uh, first to just yell at them or just warn them in that way. We know that's not very, you know, effective if you run out of here and go, repent, the fire, I mean, we've all seen those people on the road driving out. It's not an effective approach, okay? We scoff at those people. But, but if you build relationships with people, 
and gently and respectfully and tactfully and patiently you're involved in their life. But friends, don't miss this. I think so many of us spend so much time worried about what people think that we never do it with intensity. So we have to add this idea of how do we do this with urgency? How do we do it with intensity? We need to have a boldness that's, that's contagious. Now, I want to end the message today by just giving you a couple practical points when it comes to sharing this message with urgency. One of those is, if you live with urgency, expect opposition. More now than any other time in my lifetime, it seems that there is a growing opposition to biblical Christianity. Christ's followers are becoming fewer in number. The cultural trends in almost every area of morality and spirituality are are, are continuing to decline, at least in our country. The Bible describes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and from the message paraphrase, it says, don't be naive, there are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderous, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags. And those are just the Rams fans. Amen? (laughs) I really wanted to say Steelers, but I couldn't. I couldn't. You know, some of you love them. But addicted to lust and allergic to God, they'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. That is the opposition that we're facing today, guys. And how are we doing? In the United States, we are not doing well when it comes to God's team. Last year in the United States, less than than half of the churches, over 360,000 in the United States, didn't even add one single person by conversion. North America is the only continent in the world where Christianity is not growing. In other places of the world, it is growing exponentially because they realize that there are realities out there. But here, we tend to be a bit more comfortable, a bit more complacent about these things. And therefore, we don't really have the pressure any longer or the urgency any longer to share with people about the reality of heaven or hell or life with God. Matthew 7, Jesus said, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide enough for all the multitude to choose the easy way. But the gateway to life is small, the road is narrow, and only a few ever find it. The underdogs. The underdogs. Friends, we are becoming the underdogs. We are the ones with our back against the wall. We are the team that nobody expects anything from anymore. We, we, we have an enemy. The Bible describes him as one that we must be alert of and we must be of sober mind because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist the devil, stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Around the world, the team of God is a team that is on mission with God and they are experiencing tremendous sufferings. And as they experience those sufferings, what's happening around the world is more and more people are turning to God. Here we are a bit more comfortable, a bit more complacent, and yet the time is now to do something. We must sense the urgency. Just this month, in our church family, we have a father 
that died unexpectedly. We had a mother that passed away in the hospital. We had an aunt that died of COVID. We had a dance teacher of one of my daughters at 50 who passed away from COVID. And in the Middletown campus, we have an aunt of the two children who were killed by their father in Preble County, all within our church family, all within the last month. If you don't think that this time is urgency, you are sadly mistaken. All of us must be aware of the reality of life and death and the challenges that we all face, and yet the promise of eternal life with God. That's why all of us must think, not just in terms of, hey, we came to church, and God's happy with us, and maybe we served in a ministry, and maybe we went to a group. We all must think in terms of, God has a purpose for my life, and a mission for my life, and I have an obligation to share that message with people, people that I love. But let me also tell you this. Where there is great opposition there is great opportunity. When you face a great obstacle, there is a great opportunity. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Make the most of every opportunity. In the darkest of rooms, the light has an opportunity to shine. Jesus said that. He said, when you put a lamp on a stand, who hides that? Nobody. Take it out. Show it. And in a dark room, that one lamp will light the whole room. And I'm just thinking today about some of you who have been put in a situation at work where maybe you're the only light in that room. And my question is, are you hiding that light or are you exposing that light? Are you doing things in your life that will say with urgency, with intensity, with boldness, but also with love, saying there's a reality here that I want to tell you about? Because when you love something, you talk about it. Our mission as a church has always been to revolve the world around Jesus one life at a time. And sometimes we think, Look, I can't make a big difference, or this church can't make a big difference. And sometimes we're tempted to think, we're not the biggest church. We, we can't really change things, can we? And what I say to you guys is this. Look, I, I get an opportunity to be kind of a coach of our little local team, but we're part of a much bigger team. We just play one little piece of a much bigger uh, thing that God's involved in around the world. And we can't change what's happening around the world, but we can change what's happening in our house. We can change what's happening in our workplace. We can change what's happening in our neighborhood. And God can use you as a group of people to say, how can we change the environments around us? How can we live with urgency? We're not in charge of all that. We're in charge of revolving the road around Jesus one life at a time, one company at a time, one family at a time, one neighborhood at a time. You can do that. You can live that kind of life in your life. And I know there's a prevailing sentiment out there that says, oh, you're supposed to keep it quiet. Don't say anything. Be a stealth Christian. Fly under the radar. And maybe eventually they'll figure out that you believe something. Don't share it in schools. Keep it out of the workplace. And, and I understand some of the challenges of that. But at the same time, if God hasn't said, hey, here's 10 reasons why you shouldn't share. Here's one reason why you should share. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And maybe some of you guys today, you feel like underdogs. Maybe today as you're sitting around this room, you're like, man, I, I don't know. Right now in my marriage, I feel like an underdog. Or in my family, I feel like an underdog. Or maybe I've struggled a little bit because in my workplace, I'm an underdog. And I feel like I can't quite get any, uh, I can't get any momentum at all in my life. And I'm struggling. 
And here's what I want to tell you guys this. One of the things we love about underdogs is they become Cinderella stories. And some of you guys need to hear that today, that in your life today, as you're sitting here today, you feel like you're an underdog. Maybe you feel like the world has come against you. Maybe you feel like you've had some challenges. Maybe you feel like you've had some frustrations, and you feel like you can't get over it. Don't you ever forget, underdogs become Cinderella stories. That God uses those underdogs to create something good in your life. He takes the obstacles and the frustrations and the opposition that you're facing, and on that backdrop, he creates a great opportunity for you to do something great in your life, to, to live on purpose with God. And that's what God has called us to do, to move from that lower room experience where we just kind of show up and attend and enjoy the place and appreciate the people and like the pastors and enjoy the programs. God's calling you to an upper room experience where you'll develop more into likeness, his likeness. And then ultimately God will send you from that upper room to live on purpose with him so that in your day-to-day life you are figuring out ways and just saying, God, would you just use me? Just use me. And God, we pray today that you would take, that you would take us to a different place, that you would move us from just just that typical mentality, which is I checked it off the box, I showed up at church, I enjoyed a few things, God, you're good with me now. And instead, we would realize you have a purpose for our life, you have a plan for our life. It's much greater than what any of us would imagine. We, we need to be praying for those opportunities. We need to see the obstacles in our life as op- opportunities. And we need to be encouraged by the reality that you do take underdogs just like those lepers and you turn it into Cinderella stories where they made an impact and we make an impact for the cause of Christ. And God, you are talking to people today who need that message. And we need to feel that urgency, God, and we need to, we need to not only embrace it, we need to do something about it. And so, God, that's our call today. That's the life we want to live. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Christ. And I pray that with all the enthusiasm we can muster. And God, we know we have it. We have enthusiasm over a lot of things in our life. Give us enthusiasm over the thing that's most important. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you just a story as I close out here today. You know, you never know what God's going to do. You never know. Uh, last week at the Middletown campus, uh, there was a, there's a guy who goes to campus there and wears a long green army jacket. It doesn't come all the time, but comes pretty regularly. His girlfriend goes to church there, wears a ball hat way down. He's got long hair. I won't describe too much of, of, of him or the story to you except to say I'd, I've never had a conversation with this guy. I've tried. It's just not happening, you know. I'm like, hey, how you doing? He may grunt out a hey, and he sits down. And, and I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I don't think he's ever heard, or at least I didn't think he'd ever heard a word that I had ever said. It's just that kind of deal. I'm like, is he sleeping? Is he aware? I don't know. And uh, so I'm preaching last week and share the message of God's purpose and plan. And, and uh, I go to the back of the room, and this guy's the girlfriend's father comes back to me in the back and says, hey, um, so-and-so, he wants to accept Christ as his Lord. And, and I really, I need forgiveness because I was like, what? Like, what? Are you sure? Like, are we talking about the same guy? You know, because like, I think he was just sleeping. And um, no, he does. And I'm like, okay. So I didn't say any of that out loud, by the way. I'm confessing. All right, I'm confessing. 
And, uh, okay, of course, I'll go talk to him. And so I went up to the front. I sat down. JB's playing, you know, and he's singing. And I'm like, hey, tell me about your deal. It's the first time we've ever had a conversation at all, ever. And, I mean, he just goes, I, I want to accept Christ. And I'm going to tell me what you were thinking. And he tells me about his story and about his mom and about what's going on in his life. And he was like, really, it's almost out of desperation. He said that exact phrase. It's really out of desperation. Okay. So I, I uh, stand up, and he takes a good confession of faith, and he repeats, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. And I tell the church, we're going to be baptizing him very, very soon. And uh, on the front row then, I, after church, I, I sat down, me and him, and I was like, well, tell me your story. Tell me more of the story. He said, we want to baptize you. When, when do you want to do that? And he said, he's rubbing his hands together. He said, I, I don't like people, he said. And uh, maybe you've noticed that. And I was thinking in my mind, you know, I love everybody, but I don't like everybody either, you know, so I relate to that. And, uh, and uh, I'm like, I get it. And, and uh, he, goes, um, he goes, so I don't know, you know, I, and, and, and I, I said, well, you want to do it privately then? And, and uh, he looked over at his girlfriend's father and he says, uh, so, so where, what should I do it? And his girlfriend's father goes, well, I think it's part of the fellowship of the believers and you should do it in front of everybody. He goes, Okay, I'll do it in front of everybody. And so today, that guy, just a little bit ago, uh, at Middletown Campus, was baptized into Christ. You just never know. You never know. And, and, and maybe some of you guys today, you're in that position. Maybe you don't like people. And maybe you're like, I don't even know. Maybe you've had another, I mean, maybe you avoid people. I don't know. But look, God has a mission for your life. He wants to get started with you. He wants to do something in your life. Okay? And, and, and I'm going to be sitting over here during that song. And if you want to talk to us about, hey, I want to receive Christ as Savior. I want to be washed new. I want to live a life on purpose. You just never know. And God forgive me for ever looking out and going, is that person really ready? That's not my job. And so maybe today that'd be you. But every single person, what is you, is that you're called to a great purpose. You're called to a great purpose. Amen. God bless you guys, and uh, let's stand together, let's sing, and let's worship.